Welcome to SickCast, brought to you by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path. My name is Jocelyn Gore, and I'm a research associate here at SickCree. I'm joined today uh, by Harinder Singh, co-founder of the Sick Research Institute and innovation director. Fateh Harinder, thank you for joining us. How are you, Jocelyn? I'm good. How are you? Well. Good. <laughs> um, so... Today, we will be talking about the first Shabbat of Shabbat Hazareh, Bat Shahid Dasvi. Um, and before we get started with that, I wanted to um, introduce Harjinder Singh before I play his recitation, um, just so that people can get a feel for the rhythm and the emotion. Um, and then I'll be reading the translation so that listeners have yet another sort of experiential angle before we get into the conversation. Um, a note about the recitation and the pronunciation uh, that I think is important is um, that this pronunciation follows the most simple and non-discretionary pattern meant for the masses. So it is pronounced the way it's inscribed, and that's what Herjinder Singh is following in this recording. I also want to say that Herjinder Singh has a background in Gurbani linguistics, and he's also a research associate at Sikri. Um, so I'm going to play that and then and then read the translation. So let's take a listen. Vaheguruji ka khalsa, Vaheguruji ki fatha, ek uankar sat gur prasad, Ram kali pat sahi dasmi. Re man aiso kari sanyasa Ban se sadan sabay kari samjahu Man hi mahi udasa rahau Jat ki jata jog ko majjanu Neem ke nakhun badau Gyanu guru आत्म उपदेश हो नाम विपूत लगाओ अल्प आहार सुलप सी निंद्रा दया छिमा तन प्रीत सील संतोख सदा निर्बाहेबो वैबो त्रिगुण अतीत काम क्रोध हंकार लोभ हठ मोह न मन स्यों तब ही आत्म तत को दर्शै परम पुरुख कह पावे वाह गुरु जी का खालसा वाह गुरु जी की फतह so now I will read the translation of this Shabbat, um, Ramkali Sovereign 10. O mind, adopt this kind of renunciation. Consider all houses as the forest. Remain non-attached within the mind. Pause, reflect. Sexual restraint is matted hair. 
Connection with the one is pilgrimage bathing. Daily commitment is growing nails. Wisdom is the guru. Let it instruct the inner self. Apply the ash of nam identification. Consume less. Sleep even less. Consider compassion and forgiveness as the love for the body. Always be gentle and content. Transcend three prescribed Indic virtues. Do not bring lust, anger, pride, greed, stubbornness, and attachment in the mind. Only then inner self can envision the essence and realize the supreme being. So Herner Singh, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the title that you have chosen for this Shabbat um, and the sort of subtitle. So what I'm looking at is renunciation redefined. And then the question comes underneath that title, what kind of renunciation? So if you could just touch on that a little bit before we get into the details of the Shabbat, that would be great. Sure. So in the original, and as you read the translation, because this is a Rahau line, that's where I paused and I reflected that throughout the Shabbat, what is going on? And the title is already given. It's in Ramkali Sovereign 10, Ramkali Patshahi Das. But then for the audience, for the seekers, we are trying to make sense. And this is part of our role, right? Part of my role is now, what do I call this? What direction is coming here? What is getting disrupted here? Because the word renunciation came in here, I'm saying renunciation is being redefined because the word carries a different connotations for all of us globally. And then the question I'm raising as a subtitle is, what kind of renunciation then? You know, like what kind of renunciation is Guru talking about? Because it is getting redefined, it is getting disrupted. Yeah, that's really, that's a really helpful framing. Um, I wanted to also ask about um, the musical mode that's listed at the beginning. So what can you tell us, for those of us who don't have any kind of background knowledge in, um, yeah, musicology, what can you tell us about um, Ramgli as a musical mode? Maybe you want to get into the etymology of this word, just based on what I know about you. <laughs> um, and then, and just like what, uh, what kinds of emotions does this musical mode evoke? And, and how, do you, how do you see this as sort of playing into the beginning of this series of compositions? So, you know, in, in the Indic uh, Hindustani classical music and then element of those come in Gurbani, but Gurmat raises it to next levels as Guru does in most cases. So in the cultural context, by the way, there is no complete understanding or agreement on exactly what the moods are or exactly what the rases are. But this is what my study of Ramkali has and I've listened to a lot of Ramkali and its correlations within Gurbani as well. So Ramkali is, uh, generally it is in the hot season, you know, it has a lot of conversations on discipline, a lot of pain and triumph, which come, you know, one comes out of. The, the part which I want to focus on the most though is uh, in every rag, there is a Ras. And Ras is, what is the pervading, um, uh, emotional flavor or the aesthetical sentiment. And this, the agreement in the Indic world is 
Hindustani, North classical music, as they call it, that this has a ras of karuna. Karuna in their system is sadness, where you feel compassion or pity or sympathy and things of that nature. Sometimes people say it is about patheticness. So it is suggesting that there is a sadness and there is a pain for desire of what we have lost, maybe what we call depression even today. So if you keep that in mind, that's what is happening in Ramkali. Now in Ramkali, uh, the interesting thing when I bring it to in conjunction with how it's utilized in Guru Granth Sahib, in Guru Granth Sahib, Rag Ramkali has many things. The word Anand, you, we are familiar with Anand Bani, right? Because there's a triumph you're having. But when it's in Siddh Ghost, the Bani is in Ramkali too. So this is about that, you know, that stubbornness and patheticness and sadness idea perhaps. So Ramkali has those flavors and we see those flavors in Guru Granth Sahib. And it makes so much sense here as well, because as you notice, the word sannyas has come in and we can, we'll talk about it more, the context. And another way I've understood Ramkali is, I, I like to understand the words where they're coming from and invoke that. Sometimes we don't know the etymology and sometimes we have a correlations based on it. So there is Ram and there is Kali. Ram is the beautiful one. Kali is the budding process. So the budding process towards the beautiful one. Again, I like to, I'm telling this to myself because this is about connecting with the one, the one who is, so the Ramkali is invoked because yogis used to, whenever they would sing a little bit, or at least when Guru is singing or speaking to them, he invokes Ramkali quite a bit. And Guru Govind Singh Maharaj in this Sabbath to eliminate the hijar, the separation also invokes Ramkali's ras, that sentiment, that aesthetics as well. Yeah, and that's that's actually really interesting too because what you said about like sadness in conjunction with some kind of beautiful budding kind of reminds me about a, like of a lot of the conversations we've had about like what it means to um, prepare oneself for that kind of budding and and how hard it is and how. Um, yeah, how it can result in some kind of sadness or pain before the budding begins. And it reminds, I don't, I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but it reminds me of like this um, sort of sped up video of a flower blooming that I've seen. And I think about it all the time because all of the moments before it blooms, it's like squirming. It's like this bud that's moving all around. And then the final thing is like this pop. And I think about it a lot because there is a, sort of the imagery of a struggle in there or some kind of, yeah, something that we have to go through before that happens. So that all kind of is putting a lot of things in, in a new light for me before we even, even really get into the, into the translation. So Just to add to that, sure. the, in the Indian context, mm. you know, when spiritual seekers are talking about it, the, the rust, the, that sentiment I was referring to, is also of something like a bodhisattva, you know, where a spiritual seeker has a lot of sorrow and a human being is making that sorrow as an understanding it as part of their own. But also when you apply the mystical dimension of that in larger Hindu traditions of India, okay. uh, they call it, this is experience of uh, sort of a spiritual service. Mm -hmm. So karuna is not just sadness in the way we are used to in the common sense. Yeah. It is sort of that renunciatory sadness. Huh like Meera's bhajans, you know, she's very, because I want to bring those Indic element to it. That's the context of the Shabbat. Hmm. You know, the devotional songs 
uh, where Meera is known for her bhajans is in this as well. So there is a lot of that. The Karuna Ras is one of the major Rases, major sentiments. Uh, and in, uh, in this sentiment, it actually, what is suggestive of is not what we are used to, but some sort of a higher love and compassion. Very, very beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, so I sort of along this line, because we've said the word renunciate a couple of times, and I know you and I have talked about that, that a lot, but I guess um, something that I come back to a lot is like what this reframing of what it means to be in renunciation or what it means to be attached um, versus non-attached. I would, I would like you to sort of set the context of this composition a little bit. What is the paradigm in which Guru Gobind Singh Sahib is sort of situating the reader in the beginning and then immediately subverting? Um, because you said this word sannyas and then this also this idea of like udas comes as well. So I'm interested in that context, um, especially as someone who when I first read it, I was like, I don't know what the sort of importance of matted hair is, for example. Like, what is that referring to? Um, yeah, if you could give us a little bit of that, that would be helpful. Yeah, so the, the sannyas is a Sanskrit word. And basically, if we apply that to, I mean, literally, it means to put everything down, all of it, whatever you have in your life. So in the larger Hindu context, and, and I want to say this context is very, very important in all of these shavad, because, you know, we are used to Guru Nanak Sahib's context. Sometimes we are used to Guru Arjan Sahib's context, but many a time we are actually not familiar with Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj's context. Yeah. You know, so he is growing up outside Punjab in Patna, you know, where a lot of Buddhist and Jain ideas are in confrontation with the larger Hindu ideas. And in Hindu ideas, sannyas in larger Hinduism is a last stage of life. Hmm. And where they believe after doing everything, in the final stage that you're renouncing your material desires. Uh, and the hope is you also renounce your prejudices. Uh, and when you bring yogis into it, which is your matted hair part is, mm -hmm. yogis also believe in this form of asceticism. So sannyas is like renouncing and becoming an ascetic. And yogic culture is part of the larger culture too. It is not just one of the six schools of uh, Hindu philosophies but it actually made rooms into even Shavites, even Vaishnavites. And this is why you have words like Siddhs and Nats and Yogis. They are different schools of thought. So Yogis also try to practice through their yoga journey, this kind of asceticism. So Sanyas is really leaving the world sort of. Mm -hmm. uh, again, every school has their own idea on how you leave everything, but that's the context of it. And in this Shabad, uh, in this Shabad, the Dasmai Paksha is is focused on the yogic practices more. Yeah, that's really helpful. And and this idea of being a renunciate getting reframed, I think is really important because even, even in conversations with other six, I feel like we get a little confused <laughs> and we're like, okay, do I do I then like treat all my relationships as meaningless in a way that is kind of like I'm like, I'm not going to have any emotions attached to anyone. And I think I'm bringing this up because you did something interesting, which is you translated uh, Udas as not detachment um, or unattachment, but as non-attachment. And I wanted to sort of understand the thought process behind that, 
what challenges even that word might have posed for you and what made you ultimately decide to use non-attachment? Because I haven't seen that in other translations. So I wanted to ask about that. Yeah, I, you know, so th there was a, there was a uh, hardness and a toughness in terms of the journey of figuring out what is it being said, because we have to put it in a larger global framework. Mm -hmm. And the line previous to is telling us, you know, it's saying, which if the guru is saying, I want you to have this kind of renunciation, which means it cannot be the renunciation which existed, you know, because he's redefining it. And in redefining, before the word Udas comes, the very first phrase in this is that consider all houses as the forest, hmm. which means it is not leaving your home where you dwell, which means your relationships of life, your networks, your families. Hmm. Uh, and then within those remaining Odas, but Odas where? And I'm going to keep the word Odas for now. Yeah. Uh, Odas in the mind not just a particular feeling we have particular day. And this is a global phenomenon now, although it was in the context of the yogis because they practiced it in a very extreme way where they would go to the jungles. They would, they would leave the civilizations and live on the mountains, you know, for example. But were they ever non-attached? Were they ever odas in their mind? Hmm. They might have renunciated the world, but did they achieve that odasiness? And odasi here is not sadness. Sadness is on the spectatorness, what the Guru Sahib is saying, I think. So the reason I went with non-attachment is because, look, in attachment, uh, and, and the word uh, attachment also comes, which is a different word within the Shabbat as well. So I had to come up with, it cannot be in conflict with the word which is already in the Shabbat. Yeah. So there is a technical reason to do that. You know, for if the word odas is used here, and next time it uses the word mo, which is where we say attachment is in the larger Sikh context, mm -hmm. right? So it cannot be attachment. It is something else because attachment exists even in householders, not just in the yogis' kids, and, but it also exists, exists, exists among the yogis. So anyway, to make a long story short, uh, then I played with and I looked into that in the usage of even English, what does this word really mean? Mm -hmm. When we are saying I'm attached, or detached, or unattached, or non-attached. Yeah. And eventually what I settled on was this, that non-attachment is actually a freedom from things and relationships. Whereas attachment is a distance and disinterest from them. And that's the line I use. And I just ignored the other two. Because really in Gurbani, it is about becoming free. Even in this Shabbat, it is about connecting, you know, ending the separation. Yeah. Which means... If I'm going to live in my home and not go to the forest, and I'm going to have non-attachment in my mind, that was the kind of renunciation that Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj is talking about. And it directly juxtaposes with the yogis one, because the spaces they leave, the things they keep, they get redefined. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, when I think about what it means to be detached. I think about like disinterest that is kind of cool, like cool and sort of um, cruel. <laughs> Whereas when I think of non-attachment, it reminds me of what we've talked about in the past um, of that idea that you brought up of like the, like building up a sandcastle and instead of being afraid or trying to hold on to it as the ocean's kind of coming in, you're like, you, you take even some kind of, 
um, joy or like awe in watching it go because you're so free from from holding on to these things. And it is interesting what you said that like even the people who maybe tell themselves that they're renunciates or who are classified that way by society are holding on to certain things, um, whether those be physical or, or not. But that's really helpful. Um, and also, I mean, we'll always be connected yeah. to the things around us. The yeah. question is, what are they doing to us? Hmm. You know, what is our relationship with them? And here, the relationship is such that, and that's where the word odas becomes non-attachment, that it frees you. Hmm. The other words were not allowing me to see that freedom within. They were allowing me to get displaced, which is what Yogi's arguments was, even with Guru Nanak Sahib and Guru Granth Sahib. And here, Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj is also witnessing an element of Yogi's in the form of their asceticism, uh, extrapolated over the larger sannyas idea of Indic understanding. And he's saying, no, in this one, we stay at home, but we still become free. And that's the non-attachment. Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. Um, kind of still continuing along this sort of question of the paradigms that are being subverted. There's reference in the translation to uh, the three Indic virtues that the mm -hmm. Guru is asking us to transcend. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about those and about like what it is about those three virtues that that is really being referenced. Um, because I've seen sort of discussions about those three virtues that don't really get to the sort of the system that they kind of encompass. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was wondering if you could just like talk about that a little bit. Sure. And, and it's, they're just mentioned Trigona. So yeah. you have to know what Trigona is. Yeah. And Trigona is a phrase which is used in Gurbani a lot. Sometimes even the word Gun is not there. It just has Tre and the context decides what three. Is it the three worlds or the three Gunas? Look, this is a very, very popular idea back then in the religious texts of larger Hinduism, in their philosophies, and it is heavily referenced in Gurbani. In this context of this Shavad, it actually also references that. But we have to know what that is. It's very prevalent even today. Mm -hmm. uh, heck, you know, other day I, on NPR, I listened to they're selling a mattress called Satwa. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> think about that for a second. It, these are the three gunas, which are Rajsik, Tamsik, and Satvik. Mm -hmm. There are explanations of that, but basically they're categorizations. And it says, this is how you purely live. This is how you become action-oriented or this is how you become, you know, like a negative way of living. That's one explanation. The other is there are three different kinds of livings. Regardless, because it's a complex idea, has been practiced over centuries, and it is still very real in the masses, not just in South Asia, but all over the world, just like the word yoga and its practices. I think it's very, very relevant here. And what Guru Sahib is saying, I don't play that game. Hmm. The whole problem is you are caught up in that game. And you're trying to decide which one is going to be more pure than the other. And literally, there's a listing of these for foods. There's a listing of it's for clothing. There is a listing of that for disciplines in terms of including yogic disciplines. So this is very much like a list we do, right? Yeah. Uh, we are very used to that in our contemporary phenomena in the West as well. If you do this, this is what you'll get. Well, that's what these three gunas are. They are actually a larger theory which essentially says that if you do these and follow this, this is the consequence of them. Now, in that context, 
you know, because it also talks about how much to eat, how much to sleep, you know, what to grow in your hand, what to do with your hair, literally the previous lines in this. Yeah. And so there is a whole logic of yogis for enunciation. And what Guru Sahib then says is, look, if you really want to go beyond fixations, especially of Indic or yogic, which are based on these ideas of three Indic virtues of Rajotamo or Sato, which are prescribed as pure action or toxic. Mm. Uh, if you really want to do that, you can only do that by practicing compassion. You can only do this by practicing gentleness. Look at how um, sort of vast that is. One is fixation, very limited. The other is making us vast, not, not toward a particular entity or a group of people, but towards all. Mm. So this is the difference. You know, people like prescription. Those who like prescription, they still look for it. People who are trying to become vast to end their separation, which don't, uh, which means you want to be connected to the one, like the one, then this is what you do. And this is Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj's renunciation or Odasi or Sanyas. Yeah, it's I was I was kind of this line stuck out to me because it's it has always be gentle and content. And then it has next to that, it has this reference to such a complicated system. And I know we've talked about this so many times that it's like, there is this thing that is happening where it's like, the complex is becoming simplified. But even in that simplification, there is a vastness that's being sort of, yeah, pointed to. Um, and so I always think about like, certain things feel really simple. Like I'm just going to be loving and I'm just going to be content and I'm just going to be, yeah, gentle. And then it's like in real time as a human being interacting with other human beings and just creation in general, it's really hard to do those things, but there is that kind of like thing happening here too of like, here are your paradigms. Here's how I'm subverting them to be simpler and also more vast. Um, and, and, you know, many people try to do that, but it doesn't work, right? But yeah. here is a sovereign telling us this. This yeah. is what Patshahi part we need to understand. That Patshah gets to redefine the yoga. And he's trying to take us, do you even understand the word joke? Because mm -hmm. he uses that word joke, which actually means union or the connection with the one. It does not mean the rituals of yoga. So if you... Imagine now the graciousness of the Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj, that an everyday person who lives in their family, how can they bring this wisdom within them? How can they bring this guru, this mentor or expert, which otherwise becomes yogic masters or acharyas? Hmm. You know? And he, he says, look, let's simplify life. You don't need, in fact, after the discussion of, if you are not caught up in these three virtues, only then you will be able to figure out in your mind how to habitually get rid of what are called vices in, in you know, the five vices, the lust, anger, pride, greed, and stubbornness. And he includes that attachment. So you know, all these things are there. So stubbornness gets added. And that made me think, generally, this word is not there because yogis are very stubborn. You know, the word is hut, you know. They say, hati on So... Uh, and the same word got used in this uh, ending lines that your mind will not get attached to this if you come out of that prescriptive system of the gunas 
And if you do that, the everyday person can renounce, create renunciation in their mind. They don't have to go to a particular yogic space. And this is how the sovereign's guidance works on us. This is what Guru Gobind Singh is saying to me. Then make sure you stay this course. And this is how you develop your inner self. This is how you see and reflect and experience the great being. And the, the great being is a translation. The original word is parampurukh. These are very big words in Indologies because many people try to become parampurukhs. Even today, they are being declared in India and outside India. He says, no, there is only one parampurukh. For that parampurukh, you don't need to follow the existing uh, asceticisms and renunciations and Odasi systems. You need to just, for everyday people, this is what you do in your mind. This is the habit change. It's incredible. Yeah, and and even the, I know this is something that you've said before, is that like Nam comes into this composition as well. And the way that we've often described Nam is like it is it is the thing that helps us connect with this thing that feels too vast to connect to. And so this imagery of applying the ash of Nam is so striking to me. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, because to me, invoking Nam feels like a very, um, yes, it's abstract, but it still involves some kind of practicality if we have an understanding of like what Nam is, which I know you had written in the translation Nam identification. But if you could just talk about that, applying the ash of Nam. And I've actually seen this. Hmm. The way people do bibhuts. Bibhuti is a system in Indian systems. It's an ash being applied. Some do a little bit, sometimes even as a mark. Some do it all over their body or parts of their body. And the way it gets reframed here is Nam bibhut chidao. Literally to apply all over is what we say, but literally it is actually saying ascending it on you. Mm. So there is a physical element and they also have a symbolism, which means they're trying to identify in a yogic way this particular practice. But when Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj and throughout Guru Granth Sahib, the Nam word comes a lot, which is very, very central to Sikhi, which means there is a physical element. So this thing, you know, what it tells me is you identify with the one. This is your bibhut. And how do you identify it? There will be physical ways of doing it. So, you know, I, I mean, we have used multiple ways to explain this, but you do it from your tongue. Do you do it with your hands? You do it with your feet. You do it with your eyes. You do it with your ears. You apply all senses. And the idea is from mouth. In fact, yesterday I was talking to you about something. And I said, you know, I'm saying it from the tongue and I'm hoping my ears will hear it. Yeah. And I'm hoping that it will go into my consciousness. So Nam is that very vast thing hmm. where I am getting drenched and colored with the love of the one, where my identification with the one, with the existence, the hold of the one has become so strong. But there is a physical element. Yes, everything starts there. So Bibhut is very physical. And it takes the Nam. He says, don't worry about that. Do physically what you can, orally what you can, visually what you can. You know, we call it today Seva, Simran, and other words get you to use, but we forget the all the purpose of all that was for now. Mm. So whatever our senses are able to do, whatever our abilities are able to do, they're all towards actually ending the separation with the one. And the Nam is when the separation ends, because you are completely identifying with the one. Mm. 
Yeah, I'm going to be thinking about that for a while. <laughs> um, uh, I don't have any more sort of questions other than, which I will ask you every time, um, what were kind of the things that were challenging in sort of the commentary or translation prog uh, process, which I know you've also talked about, um, and what what is something, a phrase, an image, a word, an idea, a principle from this composition specifically that has stuck with you? Because I know we've talked about like when we did Bada Maha with the Guru Granth Sahib project, that phrase like come into my heart was was in my brain for months. And sometimes it's like those little things that sort of latch on to us. So those are my last sort of two questions. And maybe within that, you can talk a little bit about the use of the numeral one in the translations because people are going to see that throughout and i want i want to hear some of your your insights in, into that decision okay that there's a lot in there so let's i think with one answer i can maybe tackle two things okay, so right. selection of what to write for the divine for mm -hmm. the koankar uh, because those words are not coming there you know the different words come for in each a composition, what is the carrying thing here, which uh, which can become relatable to everyone, right? So I cho chose to use the numeral one because numeral one really is about how everything in Sikhi started from Guru Nanak where the digit one got used in front of Oankar. Hmm. So we can debate all you want about Oankar, but there is no debate about the one. So the one is where we need to focus on and the digit really makes sense to me because it is about the unity and the unitary, uh, uh, the aspect of that, which, you know, people make it philosophical to me. It's not philosophical. It's very clear in Gurbani at large, which I will share here as well, that look, when when the number one or the word ik, ek, or their cardinal forms, if you want to be technical, pehla or first are invoked, it is really referring to ikkoankar, which is the ultimate reality and the source of all things which I like to and we like to call one force. Mm. And just to explain this further, when the word two, duja, second is invoked, it actually is the embodiment of otherness in Gurbani. Mm. So one makes so much sense. It is very universal and it is very clear. There is no debate on that in any place in the world. You know, it has all the manifestations as invoked by Guru, Guru Nanak himself. So that's why chose to use that and the word ache will come in one of some of these compositions as well the you know we talk a little bit about it and i i, I want to come back to that word because in in this particular shabbat obviously i'm i mean there is a ramkali's mood and emotion very much are present there as guru gobind singh maharaj is disrupting the yogis and basically taking them towards nam but when i saw the phrase in here you know the tra again and I was like, you know, the rest of it is trivial stuff for me. And I enjoyed it. Mm. But when I saw that phrase, tre, and it said, tre gun, tre gun atit, the qualifiers before that were seal, santok, sada nirvahevo. Now, this is very interesting for me. That seal word is sital word, is gentle, cool, mm. you know, and santok is contentment. Hmm. higher levels of satisfactions and happiness that I can have that gentleness and contentment within me hmm. whenever I'm ready to transcend these 
prescriptive modes of virtuous characteristics. So this contentment comes a lot, but this coolness and gentleness is very, very big here because yogis don't have that. So if there's a yogi in me, which is stubborn mm. and which is prescriptive and thinks that in a particular form, even if a non-yogi in it, a small element of yogi in me, which feels that I can do this as the last stage in my life, I think there is a very cooling answer, very gentle answer, very contentful answer being given here to the, to the personalities which are caught up in this yogic and sannyasic element. It's very simple. Just come out of this game you are playing and you will already start to feel gentle and content. Yeah, and I think, I mean, all of that's really important because we maybe we tend to read these things as like not being for us because we're like, well, I'm not living in that paradigm. Like I'm not, I'm certainly not a yogi. And it's like, instead it becomes about like, what are the underlying sort of elements of what it means to be a yogi? What does it mean to be sort of caught up in complicated systems, even if they're not these index systems in your own context? Um, and I think that that sort of pointer of like, we all have some kind of element of a yogi within us that needs to be sort of cool and addressed. The stubbornness needs to be addressed. I think that um, that has shifted my understanding, even as we've worked with different compositions that initially didn't feel like they were for me specifically. <laughs> um, and, and we know that this is, you know, it is for all of us. So what is it speaking to um, within us, I think is a good, a good way to frame it. So thank you. Um, and, and also to reminder to everyone, uh, it's a reminder to me, let's listen to Bible Beat Singh's rendition of this musical yes. rendition of this uh, Ramkali Padshahi Rasmi, where the Padsha says to pause where? The pause is on Manhi Mahayodasa. Mm -hmm that how to develop this non-attachment in the mind. Physically, we'll figure it out and we do figure out many things if we get enough ideas, which is what, and we, none of us are forest dwellers right now. Yeah. Even the yogis are not doing this. Unless you are a serious yogi, you do that. So we're not serious about anything. <laughs> you know? In this case, Guru Sahib is saying, really the question to ponder over is how do you become non-attached mm -hmm. in your mind? Because that's what frees us. And that's what connects us with the one. Thank you very much. Um, I think there are plenty of insights from just today that I think I'll probably be sort of thinking about until the next one. So um, I do hope that our, our listeners are feeling as inspired by this conversation as I have been. And um, I hope that you all will tune in next time where we'll be talking about Shabbat 2. And as always, in the meantime, if you have questions or comments, uh, feel free to email me at jasleen.gore sorry, at sikri.org. And we'll see how we can incorporate some of that feedback into our future episodes. Thank you very much, Jinder Singh. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Thank you. And uh, just remember, this is about celebration. So let's figure out how we want to celebrate, how you personally want to celebrate Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj. Thank you. Why don't you call us? Why For a deeper appreciation and connection with the Sabbath, we have added Bible Beer Sing's rendition. 
We hope you enjoy it. Oh. 
राखो प्रभु राखो प्रभु नानक दे कर हस फिर Yeah. 
Listening to Sick Cast by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path. 